Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Oh, yeah, we are back. I know it's been a bit. Screaming from the sidelines is officially coming in hot with another episode. Music is fading out nicely. And all is well here at the very tail end of this hot July month. Sports have been a little bit dry too, but we're coming back and we have content that I want to get to. The theme of this episode kind of just randomly came to me and I thought, hey, why not give it a try? Because uh, something that my brother and I have discussed and uh, Robbie just turned 21 actually, so happy late birthday to you, shout out, and uh, you're never going to be an adult to me, so... Uh, just going to put that on the table to begin with. But one thing that we did talk about together is that reading comments on social media might be one of the worst uses of time, like ever, like in anything you could possibly do. It's right up there with just stupid things you can do. But one social media gag that I actually kind of think is funny, just being such a big basketball nerd and an NBA fan, is anytime an account will post about a sport, say hockey, tennis, uh, anything that's not going to get as much coverage as your typical mainstream NBA or your NFL or even sometimes your MLB, people will say, explain this in NBA terms or what does it mean in NBA terms? Like, I don't, I need a point of reference here. If you're talking about the Women's World Cup, which is going on right now, and the USA ties Netherlands, like, what is that in NBA terms? I need a point of reference on how to feel, how to grasp it, and how to understand it. And so I thought, why not bring that to the WNBA because their season is fully going right now. And I think a lot of people's issue is accessibility and it has been in the past. And look, if you don't want to follow the league, you don't have to follow the league. Like no one is binding you to some kind of contract. So if any content gets put out there and you happen to come across it, don't get offended, bro. Uh, WNBA season is going in full swing. And I'll admit that, you know, I've had pockets of not following it as closely and I try to read up on different things every week but I thought what if we explain the WNBA in NBA terms to give people a point of reference here for what this season is as we head into the postseason and uh, look some of these are not perfect comparisons at all like you'll see as I go through the list of 12 teams some of them I don't feel as confident about I struggled with a little bit and it's just one of those do the best you can kind of cases This bit and this episode is not meant at all to undermine the WNBA or strip the league of its identity. I just thought it would be fun to take a common social media bit and use it as a way to give people a better understanding of a growing league. And speaking of growing league, let's just start with the barrage of 40-point games that we've seen. Because the previous record for the number of 40-point games in a season by the collective league was three. And that happened in 2006... 2008, and then most recently in 2015. So we're like halfway through the season-ish here, and we've already had seven of them. In fact, there could have been another since the last time I updated these notes. I don't know that for sure, but Brianna Stewart has done it twice, uh, including scoring a Liberty record of 45 in her first home game there. And she had 43 a couple of weeks ago, back on July 5th. Uh, The other five players to hit the 40-point mark are Atlanta Dream star Ryan Howard, the league's leading scorer, Jewel Lloyd, Arike Igumbawale, Tawana Bonner, and Kelsey Plum. So let's talk about it. Explain it 
in NBA terms or in WNBA terms if you want to flip it back on its side. 1-12, to 12, we're going to go by different teams and try to give you the best comparison possible. I had a lot of fun with this, and I hope you enjoy sticking it out with me. Let's go, starting from the top. The Las Vegas Aces are 23-2. and two. They are insane. My NBA comp is the Golden State Warriors of 2015 to 2017. Why? Okay, yes, they're a great team, and they have all the pieces there, but it's something else with the Aces too. Like, why did I pick such a narrow range of years when this team has won four championships, whereas they won two in that span? Well, it's because... In that span for the Warriors, they're what the Aces are right now, which is being so far ahead of the rest of the league that all their competitors are running to play catch-up. I know the Liberty is the other super team that everyone was keeping their eyes on heading into the season, and we'll get to them a little bit later, but the Aces beat the Liberty by 17 points in their only meeting so far, so... Uh, the next face-off is August 6th, by the way, at uh, noon Eastern time, or I think it's 3 Eastern time, noon Pacific time uh, on ABC. Asia Wilson is your two-time MVP. Chelsea Gray is your reigning finals MVP. Jackie Young was an all-star starter and has gotten way better this season. Oh, and did we mention Kelsey Plum and Candace Parker and Becky Hammond as the head coach? And that Mark Davis investment into women's basketball has completely paid off. Because the Aces have the best facilities, a more hands-on training staff than the league has ever had, and it all shows on the court. But the constant travel, the wacky sleep schedule, sometimes playing back-to-back games, and the investment that Mark Davis has made into this team is starting to show. And there's a reason that the Las Vegas Aces just simply kick ass on the court. It seems like anytime someone's out there giving them a run for their money and like, hey, we're going to score 90 on you tonight. The Aces are like, all right, fine. Well, I guess we'll just score 100. Score 107. Like they score 90 points every game. It's not even a weird thing. So with this Golden State Warriors comparison, They were the best run franchise in the NBA by a mile, and everyone was trying to play catch up with them for three to four years. The two biggest obstacles during that time frame were LeBron James, who did get a championship in 2016 and is one of the greatest players of all time, for some, the greatest. And then the Houston Rockets were that other obstacle who nearly knocked them off, most notably in 2018. The Aces became the fourth team in league history to have five consecutive wins of 15-plus points. They are dominant. They have the talent, the chemistry, the coach, and the proper level of investment in their franchise. And it's changing the league for the better because now everyone else will start to play catch-up and everybody else is going to try to reach that level. If the Las Vegas Aces do not repeat as WNBA champions, I will be stunned And I think very highly of the Connecticut Sun and the New York Liberty. But the Aces right now are just that good. Let's move over to another team, which was the team that won it two years ago, the Chicago Sky. A lot has changed for this Sky team. And the NBA comp that I'm going to give for the Chicago Sky is this last season's Utah Jazz of 2022 to 2023. Why is this my comparison? Well, the rebuild kind of tore it all down. 
They lost Candace Parker and Courtney Vandersloot. Allie Quigley is sitting the season out. And Emma Meesman stayed overseas after the WNBA made a rule that players must return to their teams by the time the league opens its season. So Meesman stayed overseas, not wanting to adhere to that new policy. The Sky also lost its head coach and GM, James Wade, midseason, who took a job as an assistant coach with the Toronto Raptors. So in addition to this teardown, why the Jazz? Well, they still have an all-star in Chicago. Kalia Copper is still there, and she is still hooping. And this team is fun. No one really expected much out of the Jazz. I know they didn't end up making the playoffs, but they were way better than people expected them to be. And at 10 and 15, the Sky aren't anything flashy, and they're not anything special. But you kind of want to root for them, and they're always more competitive. Courtney Williams is a straight hooper. Marina Mabry can explode in scoring. So... Even if the team's record isn't catching eyeballs necessarily, the Chicago Sky are a tough out for any team on any given night. I think that they could have a really quick bounce back if they get the next coach who gels with the players and they secure one of the top picks in next year's WNBA draft. I'm not feeling super pessimistic towards Chicago, even though a lot has changed and Kalia Copper is sort of left out on her own there for the most part, but... A lot of respect for these players, and I think it's kind of a tough team that is never going to go down easy. So I kind of like this Utah Jazz comp. Might not be a playoff team, not going to be a championship team, but after everything was torn down and they were expected to be worthless, they're still a team. They're still pretty legit. So there you go with your Chicago Sky. Let's move to the team that's third in the standings right now, the Connecticut Sun. At 18 and 7, my NBA comp on the Sun, and I think this is a good one for younger basketball fans, is the Boston Celtics of the past five years, or maybe even the past 10. So, why? Well, the Connecticut Sun were last year's runner up and have never won a WNBA title. Now, the Celtics have won 17 titles, so obviously we're working with a very narrow time frame here because that 17 is tied for the most all time. However, my fun historical fact is that both of these franchises are second all-time in total win percentage for their leagues. The Celtics trail only the San Antonio Spurs, and the Sun trail only the LA Sparks. Just worth mentioning as a technicality, by the way, that I'm going off of franchise records, so while the fairly new Las Vegas Aces have won 68% of their games, I'm also accounting for previous versions of their franchise, like the San Antonio Silver Stars and the Utah Stars with two Zs. <laughs> Stars. We just sold uh, ZZ Top tickets as a giveaway on KMBR in San Francisco, 104.5. Uh, shout out to them. So, yeah, nice little nice little fun ZZ Top tribute to the Utah Stars. All right, back to the present. So the Boston Celtics have had eight straight non-losing seasons and nine straight playoff appearances. They have been to the Eastern Conference Finals five times since 2017, and they lost the Finals in 2022 in six games. They are a perennially good team, even when they've had to trade star players or change coaches. The Sun are tied for first in the Eastern Conference. Well, they were tied with the Liberty. Now they're slightly a step back from them. And a lot of people thought they would trend way downward after Kurt Miller left to coach the LA Sparks, 
and they traded away former MVP Jonquil Jones. But because of their staple players like Dewana Bonner and Alyssa Thomas, the Sun are still glowing. Alyssa Thomas is second in league averages for rebounds, assists, and steals. The Sun, as a team, are second in clutch win percentage. They're one of two teams to beat the Aces this year. But until they get that ring and get over the top, it's hard to find another NBA comparison for them. I will say... I think much more positively of the Connecticut Sun than I do the Boston Celtics. I think they have a much nicer fan base. Uh, also, I just being a Warriors fan, I'm going to be preordained to not root for the Celtics. So if you're getting all riled up, listen to this. It's not personal. I really like your players. Congrats to Jalen Brown on the contract extension. I think Jason Tatum is a very good dude. Seems like a really good dad, by the way. Like, when he... Uh, when, when he had those new shoes that were inspired after the zoo, because that was his favorite place for his son Deuce to go, I thought that was the cutest thing ever. Like seriously, one of my favorite moments of the season. Stephanie White though, Kurt Miller's replacement. I think she's coach of the year. I really, really do. I really, 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 really do. Stephanie White is awesome. And by the way, congratulations to Dewana Bonner and Alyssa Thomas on their engagement. I had no idea that they were together until the engagement was announced, but that's pretty cool. The two best players on one of the best teams in the league got more than just the team chemistry on the court. So that's awesome. Very happy for them. And uh, yeah, Connecticut Sun, it would be great to see them win a championship sometime in these near years, but I'm going to say it a million times. It's hard to see the Aces getting dethroned this season. Would love to see the Sun get one though. They've been too good for too long to not have it. All right, let's move over. Uh, let's move over to the other super team in the WNBA. That's the New York Liberty, your Eastern Conference leader at 19 and 6. And had to think about this one for a little bit. And what I ultimately came up with on my NBA comp was the early stages of the big three Miami Heat. Now, Brianna Stewart did not make a televised show called The Decision and say she was taking her talents to the Big Apple. But why is this my comparison? Well, you got a league MVP. She came over in the offseason. Brianna Stewart, two-time finals MVP, seriously might be the best player in the entire league. Like, I mean, it's her or Asia Wilson or, you know, sometimes others can get into that mix, but... She is a pretty perfect basketball player. You got another very good player who's also a former MVP herself in John Quall Jones. She was traded from the Connecticut Sun, as I mentioned. They got another all-star in Courtney Vandersloot, who's a career 6.6 assists per game player and has the third most assists all time. And they all came to New York to surround the key piece they had from before, Sabrina Ionescu. Now, if I'm going to use my Sabrina as my D-Wade comparison, well, she's younger and less accomplished than Dwayne Wade was at the time when LeBron and Chris Bosh came to Miami. But I like this comparison for fans who might not follow the W as much because the vibes around the team are very similar. Big expectations, super team level roster, bigger market, but it might take a little bit of time for them to reach that ultimate goal. Remember the Miami Heat lost the NBA Finals in the first year with this core to a far less star-studded roster. You had Jason Kidd at the end of his playing career, and you had a nice defensive player in Tyson Chandler, but this was largely it was the one-man show of Dirk Nowitzki. 
Anyway, I digress on old NBA Finals, but the Liberty are really, really good. They are second in offensive rating, second in net rating, second in effective field goal percentage, but they're second all to the same team. Surprise, the Aces. They could certainly win the WNBA championship this year. It wouldn't be surprising to even see them in the finals. But this super team project might take more than one year of instant gratification, as we kind of saw with that big three in Miami. I do think the Liberty are awesome. They should win a championship as long as this core is healthy. Is it going to be this year? Well, that's to be seen. All right, let's go to another team that is really interesting. And I had a hard time coming up with a comp for this one because first I was going to go with another team and then I kind of switched it around. And the Dallas Wings at 14 and 11 have gotten really hot since that All-Star break. So at first I was looking at the perfect dream couple of the Dallas Wings comp with the Dallas Mavericks. But then I looked deeper and I thought, Maybe the New York Knicks is a better comparison. Not a championship team, probably, but it feels like they're one to two years away from becoming a problem. Wings are hot, like I said, but they've been wildly inconsistent and frustrating at times earlier in the season, and their fans have had to deal with it. So when I was originally toying with this Dallas Mavericks idea, I thought, well, both have a notable star who can get a bucket at any time. Both Arike and Luca are popular faces. I mean, Arike's got commercials with Mark Cuban. Both teams are capable of beating the best teams while also going on cold and disappointing stretches. However, the Wings play a little faster and they play defense. They got the fourth best defensive rating, the top rebound rate, the third fewest opponent field goals made. Pretty solid interior defense. If anything goes in their favor, well, they could really make a run. Like, if everything just kind of lines up at the right time. Would I put my money on it? Probably not at the moment, but would I be rooting for it as a fan? I think that could be so fun to watch Dallas. So, I can't talk about the Wings without mentioning their other star, Satu Sabali, who was an all-star starter this year. The forward has surged in nearly every category this year. Right now, she's averaging 17.5 points per game, 9 rebounds per game, almost 4 assists per game, and she's shooting 34.8% from 3, which is a big jump from her career average. She also recorded her first-ever triple-double and also the first-ever triple-double in Dallas Wings history. Now, I know she plays a different position and style of basketball than Jalen Brunson of the New York Knicks, but if we're making this Knicks comparison, both have been that pleasant surprise that has made people take the team seriously. Like, Satu was good, but was she supposed to be this good? And New York Knicks fans can be so easy and quick-triggered to get down on their team. And I think after that playoffs, even though they lost to an 8 seed, the Miami Heat, by the end, were very much taken seriously in this 2023 postseason and a lot of Knicks fans weren't overly negative. They felt like they were actually building something and not as... Uh, it just wasn't as much of a catastrophe kind of sentiment around New York as I expected to see from their fans. So the Dallas Wings, kind of more like the Knicks in that they can play like 
an awesome team. They play defense, go on these really hot stretches. Their record doesn't quite show for it on consistency, but if everything goes their way, they got a chance to really trend in the right direction. Okay, Washington Mystics, NBA comp. I really wanted to avoid this NBA comp, actually, but I couldn't find a better one, and I'm going to stick with it. At 12-13 and 13 right now, the Washington Mystics are the LA Clippers of the WNBA, and there's a reason why I wanted to avoid this. Because if you're an NBA fan, everyone's so sick of the Clippers. They are such a laughing stock around the NBA, and nobody takes them seriously. And everyone's tired of this Kawhi-Paul George duo. Like, are they even going to stick together with the LA Clippers? But the reason I'm going to stick with the comp in the Mystics is that I think factually and not emotionally, it makes sense. Injuries have been the weakness of this team, but when everyone is there, they're one of the toughest and arguably the best defensive team in the entire WNBA. But right now, even with Natasha Cloud back from injury and Brittany Sykes playing good basketball, they've missed Ariel Atkins, Shakira Austin, Elena Deladon, and Christy Tolliver. That's a lot to overcome in a league with only 144 roster spots. And you could say, well, if there's so much talent out there and the league is dying for an expansion, why don't they explore the vast market of players who aren't rostered? And that's why the Mystics are tricky, because that is a fair counter-argument. But the fact that none of these are surefire season-ending injuries is great in that they could come back and make a push at the right time with all their key players healthy, but it also makes things confusing in that they don't need to find an alternative answer and shake up chemistry and then put a player on the roster only maybe to bench her or even cut her. So they're just kind of in this awkward no-man's land where it's like, oh, well, if everything aligns, the Washington Mystics are one of the best teams in the WNBA, but it has not, and health has been the issue. I hope they're healthy by the playoffs, though. If that's a 7 seed or an 8 seed, I'm thinking like Miami Heat vibes where it's like, maybe not overtaking the top team, but there's going to be a pain in the ass for somebody. So I like it. Uh, Washington Mystics are your LA Clippers, but without all the negative emotions that you probably feel toward the Clippers. All right, let's move to the Indiana Fever. My NBA comp, this one felt pretty easy to me. The San Antonio Spurs. Why? Aaliyah Boston gave this franchise an instant boost. The number one pick in the WNBA draft was an all-star starter just three months after playing in the NCAA Final Four. And in San Antonio, here comes Victor Wembanyama. The Fever are just 6-19. and 19. So it's not like Aaliyah Boston has just made them a contender instantly all by herself. But when you finish the last season losing 18 games in a row, your expectations are set at healthy low levels, and they are moving in the right direction. And by the way, the record doesn't necessarily tell the full story They've been competitive. Like, they gave the Aces some trouble in a game. The Aces, to their credit, finished the job in the end and were able to hang on. But, yeah, the Fever are 6-19, and 19, but of those 19 losses, they're not all just getting the floor wiped with Indiana Fever. And uh, in this Fever dream, I know, I'm so funny. What a great transition. We're going to move to the Atlanta dream. 
who are at 14 and 11. Wait, didn't this team stink? Like last year and the year before that? Like 14 and 11? What? Well, they're the Oklahoma City Thunder. And if I'm being completely honest, that's actually where the inspiration for this whole episode started. Was thinking about the Atlanta dream just coming out of nowhere. And I was like, explain this in NBA terms. Well, the Oklahoma City Thunder although they have about 25 fewer draft picks over the remainder of the decade, but that's another story. Why? They are ascending quicker than was expected of them. It turns out that their star player is really good. I know Ryan Howard was the number one pick in the 2022 WNBA draft, and Shea Gilgis-Alexander was not. But Howard was an all-star fill-in for the injured Elena Deladon, she had a 43-point performance right after the All-Star Reserves was announced, and she was originally not a part of that list. And she went out and sent a message. In a similar way that SGA was great for OKC this last year and had them a game away from making the postseason, the Atlanta Dream are extending their I sorry, exiting their rebuild a little sooner than a lot of fans thought they would. Again, I'm going to say this about a lot of teams. They're not a championship team, but it's really hard to be disappointed in the growth they've shown this year. They are trending upwards, baby. They're still young, though. They are second in turnover ratio. They have the third most fouls in the league, and they are second in opponent free throw attempts in terms of the most. So, you know, not a good second place. I could put, I could say 11th if you want to uh, think of it that way. So they do make some mistakes, and they're young, but at 14-11, they kind of just find ways to win, and they will be a playoff team because two-thirds of the league makes the playoffs, whereas about half the league makes the playoffs in the NBA, just over half. But the Atlanta Dream, it's a fun group. Got to give a lot of love to that squad. All right, we're going to move towards some of the bottom teams in the league. We've got four more, I believe. And we're going to talk about the LA Sparks, who are 9-16. and 16. I don't mean to offend anybody here with this comp, both LA and Minnesota people, but the best comp I could come up with is the Minnesota Timberwolves for the Los Angeles Sparks. Why? Well, they're not a bad team, but they're not particularly inspiring at the moment. I mean, Neka Ogumake has had a really nice season. And the Timberwolves also have some nice players, like Carl Anthony Towns and Anthony Edwards are really good players in Minnesota. But the similarity and the reason for my comparison ultimately derives from the fact that both squads are reeling with the effects of taking a risk that didn't pay off. The Timberwolves famously traded Malik Beasley, Patrick Beverly, Leonardo Bulmaro, Walker Kessler, who was the number 22 pick in the 2022 draft. Jared Vanderbilt, the 2023 first-round pick, a 2025 first-round pick, a 2027 first-round pick, a 2029 first-round pick, and a 2026 pick swap to get LeBron James? No, to get Rudy Gobert. Uh, It's a move that didn't necessarily improve their team, like, like pretty much at all from the previous year. So the Sparks uh, didn't make that bad of a mistake, but they gave all-star center Liz Cambage a contract of $170,000, which in WNBA pay speak is a lot of money, 
to join the team for one year last season. The move didn't work. The team struggled both with and without her. Derek Fisher was let go as the head coach, and they ultimately agreed to a contract divorce, which left Liz Cambage with $141,000 and a ticket out the door. So, yeah, it didn't work out. I don't think she was a very good teammate. Really good player, not a very good teammate, and she's out of the WNBA right now. The Sparks just recently had an eight-game losing streak, which is the longest in their franchise history, and they're just 2-9 and nine on the road this season. So like I said, they're reeling with the effects of taking a risk, and it didn't pay off, and that's okay. It happens in sports, and they're not the worst team in the league, and they're not the most embarrassing team in the league, but it's just not feeling like they're trending in a great direction. That's about all I have on this LA team. All right, a few more. Let's go to the Phoenix Mercury. So this one, I will admit, one of the hardest, if not the hardest team to come up with a good NBA comp. I ended up going with the Toronto Raptors, I guess, question mark. I mean, look, the Mercury are struggling. Diana Taurasi just turned 41 in June. Skylar Diggins-Smith is on maternity leave. And the team hasn't been the same since they made the finals in 2021. But Brittany Griner's back, and she was an all-star, and that's really nice to see her back. So it feels good to have her home. So why the Raptors? Well, I guess the way I thought about it was the fall from grace. The Mercury have been champions. They reached the finals two years ago, and now they're sort of starting over. They made the coaching change already. It's going to be somewhat of a rebuild, despite not tearing down the roster, as is the case with Toronto. The Raptors didn't struggle quite as badly this year, but they fell short of their expectations, and the season ended with a sour taste in their mouths when they couldn't make a free throw during a home play-in game because DeMar DeRozan's daughter was screaming from the sidelines. So, yeah, James Wade just went to Toronto as an assistant, they got a chance to do something good. It was a very interesting year with that group last year. A lot of people thought they'd be sellers at the trade deadline. They actually did not. And they didn't end up getting into the postseason. So I don't really know what's to come for both of these squads, but the Mercury are the bottom of the league right now at 6-18. and 18. Only the Seattle Storm have a worse record. So we will get to them in just a moment. Uh, let's go with the Minnesota Lynx, though, before we finish it out with the Seattle Storm. And I like the Minnesota Lynx. Like, I don't want to all just do the sad teams at the end of this episode, because the Lynx are actually super fun, ironically, being the Minnesota team when I just ragged on the NBA Minnesota team. So, NBA comp, I don't know if this is cheating or not on my own assignment, but I did a hybrid comp between the current Indiana Pacers and the current Sacramento Kings. The Lynx are 13-13 and 13 right now. If you don't go out of your way to follow the WNBA, you're not going to find a lot of news on the Minnesota Lynx. They're kind of hard not to admire. They were supposed to stink. I mean, they did stink at the beginning of the season. They were 0-6, and, and now they're like a sneaky playoff team. Nafisa Collier is an MVP caliber player. 
She's probably not going to win the award unless the Lynx can somehow climb into like a top three seed. But she's been everything and more for this group. She's at 22 points per game. She's third in the league in scoring. She's got the most points in the paint per game. The team as a whole is fifth in clutch performance in terms of securing wins. And they're currently on a three-game win streak of their own. So this season alone probably won't be remembered by fans 10 years down the line. And that's part of why I didn't just compare them to the Kings because what happened in Sacramento was a lot bigger this year. But it could be looked back on as having built something or just exceeding expectations. The Pacers and the Kings traded with one another and it actually helped both of them big time. And the Lynx are a little bit above where the Pacers ended up being at the end of last season, but they're not quite the level of what the Sacramento Kings are. I like this team as a playoff dark horse. I don't necessarily think they'll make a run because the league is so top-heavy, but they could give somebody a little trouble. I know that's such a half-assed prediction by me, but the Aces aren't losing a first-round playoff series. The Liberty aren't losing a first-round playoff series, and I wouldn't bet on the Sun losing a first-round playoff series either. Would be cool if I'm wrong, but the top of the league is too good to just bet against that outcome for me. So... Minnesota Lynx, I'm telling you, that's a team that you're not going to go and find a lot of things about them if you don't go out of your way, but they're fun. They are in the fun category, like the Atlanta Dream, the Minnesota Lynx, the Chicago Sky. Those are your sneaky fun teams. And we're going to go finish it off with a team that is at the bottom of the standings, but it's not dire circumstances. The Seattle Storm are 6-19. Caitlin Clark. Caitlin Clark. Caitlin Clark. You know what's cool about this draft class, though? Is that Caitlin Clark will headline it, and barring some kind of injury, knock on wood, uh, she will be the number one pick. But there's still Cameron Brink, Paige Beckers, Angel Reese, Haley Van Lith, and others who headline the big board. So all these bottom teams are going to be thrilled. And they're going to get someone that they're excited about. And before I talk about the storm, let's go back to my last episode on bringing the WNBA to Oakland, which I'm excited to share has officially become the most downloaded episode of Screaming from the Sidelines. If you have not yet, go give it a listen. Go sign that petition where you can find in the episode description along with WNBA Oakland social media and website information. Sign that petition, man, because if Oakland can get a team and have one of those aforementioned players to get the franchise off the ground, that would be elite. So go support a city in need of another team. My NBA comp for the Seattle Storm, I had to think about it for a bit. I really did. And I opened the episode with the Golden State Warriors comparison, and I'm going to do it again to close. My NBA comp is the 2020 Golden State Warriors. So Jewel Lloyd is leading the league in scoring at 24.3 points per game. She was the all-star game MVP. But this team lost Brianna Stewart to New York, and Sue Bird retired. So they're struggling for wins, as expected. I mean, this team had a franchise record of 10 straight losses that was finally snapped 
and they currently rank last in offensive rating, ninth in defensive rating, last in net rating, and last in effective field goal percentage. They also have the fewest assists per game, which isn't too shocking when you lose your Hall of Fame point guard and all-time league leader in assists, but it's hard to be too concerned for the Storm. And I don't think this season took many people by surprise. Given their track record of attendance and supportive fan base, I think they're going to quickly turn things around due to the fact that they're going to draft someone exciting. I don't know how competitive this will make them right off the bat, but if you have Jewel Lloyd plus one other exciting rookie and possibly some free agents, the Storm could become competitive pretty quickly once again. So my NBA comp, and I know, I know, enough with the Warriors, but guess what? It makes sense, and this is my podcast, and you're listening, so thank you for listening. Uh, the Warriors in 2020 were coming off five straight finals appearances, three championships. Uh, Kevin Durant got injured in the finals and was gone. He left for Brooklyn. Klay Thompson was already out for the year with a torn ACL. And Stephen Curry broke his hand like four games into the season. The Storm maybe weren't quite the dynasty that the Warriors were, but they won a championship as recently as 2020, which is actually ironic given my comp, and they did it again in 2018. My larger point here is that there's no panic in Seattle. The Warriors knew they weren't going to be the worst team in the league in 2021. Seattle's going to get better. They're going to be fine. This season is about making sure any of their young players can fit into their system and be a nice piece for the future. By the way, uh, nine of the Storm's rostered players are in their fourth season or less. So not only is Jewel Lloyd the clear leader and best player, she's also the most experienced with eight years or in her eighth season. And Sammy Whitcomb is the most experienced player after her in her sixth year. So... 2023 might be one of those years, but no one should be sleepless in Seattle. And that's going to wrap it up. So thank you, if you made it this far in the episode, for joining in on this kind of fun and creative segment when sports aren't churning too heavily right now. Pretty soon we're going to have football coming around the corner. The Women's World Cup is still going. We got the knockout stages coming up. Basketball will probably be back before you know it. The WNBA playoffs are coming in like a month. That's going to be fun. And maybe some of these predictions I made today will end up being wrong. And that would actually be cool. I'd love to get surprised. Like, why not? Good for the league. But yeah, so that's really it. Uh, thank you so much for listening and uh, continuing to support the show. I can't thank everyone enough who listened to that last episode and made it the most downloaded. Uh, I knew that just having an episode with people that were doing a grassroots cause and just ordinary fans trying to make something happen, for that to have a big impact on a platform like Believe, it means a lot. So I really appreciate that. I uh, appreciate all the listening. If you could, go rate, subscribe, leave a review, whether that's Spotify, Apple Podcasts, whatever major platform that you were listening on. And uh, I think that's going to wrap it up here. So I hope to do another episode soon. I know it was a little bit of a wait in between shows, but things are only going to get better. And I appreciate you being on this journey. As always, take care and keep screaming.
Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.